You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Got outside for my first outdoor workout since surgery. I rode the bike. Um, like out, out of doors in the fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. Of the summer, this is one of my first real things since summer, like really hit outside of a couple early morning rides I did prior to surgery. You know what? The worst part about being injured in the summer is not being able to get outside for your cross training. If you don't bike a lot, actually, I got fried. Yeah. You're looking pretty crisp. The day before I got burnt, Lisa and I went for a mile and a half walk. So that was my longest endurance workout to date. (laughs) And then the next day I biked for an hour and I thought I got to even out this burn because I had a tank top on the day before. So I took my shirt off, sprayed some sunscreen, biked for an hour. I thought I won't get any sun, that much sun because I sprayed, but I've been outside for like five total hours this summer because of my knees. So Mm. I got, I got fried again, back to back days. It felt so good to be outside and doing something. The wind through your hair. Oh, wait. Ugh. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, I, you know, that sunscreen, dude, that sweats off. And then it, I feel like it's not even doing you any good if you're working yeah. out. I cut it short. All my workouts I've been stopping before I hit discomfort. Knee discomfort. Knee discomfort, yes. Yeah. And and I thought, I, I'll just cut it at an hour. Had I gone and done 90 minutes, I would have lost like two or three layers of skin. I think I would have been burned so bad. <laughs> How did the ride feel? Did you go crank or what? I didn't crank. I I spun fast. I spun high cadence, low, low power, and like two or three times stood up out of the saddle for a couple uh, pedals just to see how it felt and no real issues. A little bit of discomfort, but no real issues. I was finally, I've been on the spin bike a few times. I've been able to pedal through the full motion now, but I was I was nervous of having to like break and hop off the bike if a car came or like at a stop sign. Most of it was on a path, but there's a few crossings. And last week I didn't feel like I could, I could land on the ground, but this week I I felt stable enough. I didn't realize that you were that limited post-surgery, man. So what are you doing to get your heart rate up these days then before this? I did two weeks straight of assault bike, no legs. Just your your arms (laughs) are just taking the brunt. Yeah. And I'd, I'd switch up like every two to three minutes. I'd lean forward and really push the whole time. And then I'd lean back and pull hard and engage mm-hmm. the back. And then as my leg got better, I'd uh, I'd put my feet, I'd lower the seat and put my feet so they could touch the ground and kind of rock my legs back and forth, get some blood flowing. And then yeah, just every couple of minutes, I'd switch up how I did it. I did, I did up to a, I did a 70 minute Airdyne arm aerobic work one day and then I did 60 60 intervals the next and then I had to take two days off I feel like when those arms go on you though like because there's so much power required on that assault bike that once they take a shit on you you kind of can't come back from that can you very quickly anyways yeah I uh whereas if you have both your arms and your legs you can put a little more emphasis on one or the other and kind of power through um I am actually impressed with that man I didn't know you were just using the arms because we're both a little banged up right now, people, unfortunately. And I truly believe that a loss of fitness when you're injured is only due to a loss of focus. 
I put in 172 miles on the bike this last week and 12 hours in the saddle. And I'm not using that shit as an excuse. You know, either are you. You're doing it. Lisa said, is Kirk injured? I said a little bit. She said, he's working on that bike seriously this week. Yeah. She's talking you on Strava. Yeah, so I, that's good. We became Strava, mutual Strava stalkers lately. But um, sweet, man. Well, heck, I know it's interesting, though, when you start cross-training, is you fight it. You fight it for the first week or two. Like, I fought it hard. Like, this is stupid. I'm on the bike. My gooch was hurting every day. You know that whole, like, acclimation yeah. phase? And now, like, I've come around and I've accepted it. And I'm learning how to get my heart rate to respond. If I want to go do threshold work, I can go do it. I did 60, 60 intervals on the bike outside yesterday. And body's responding. It's just like, once you just allow your mind to accept the fact that you're injured and this is how it is and just make the most of it, life's good. Yeah. Right? It is. And I found that I actually enjoy biking. I've done so much spin bike work as my recovery and non-impact work over the last few years that I developed a disdain for the bike. But when I bought that felt and started going outside, I realized I love the feeling of just moving quickly on a bike. Mm -hmm. It's fun getting in and out of turns and I like it. And the, a couple, about a month and a half ago, prior to surgery, I did a four by 15, I mean, four by 5k um, hard on the bike. Oh, it like was a that. blast. I like it felt that. different than running. It's a different type of burn, but I was able to just go hurt. It was cool. It's kind of like your legs give out on you before your lungs can sometimes. Definitely. Yeah. Which yeah, is interesting. That's exactly it. I'm going to do a threshold, uh, tempo or work on the assault bike tomorrow, just cause I know I can get my heart rate up high enough and keep it there without like muscle failure mm. happening first because of that exact reason. Um, all right. Well, this is not a cross-training episode. No, it's we not. Get, no. What, what, what kind of episode is this today, Bracken? This is a this is an athlete breakdown. Let's call it that. We we spoke with Cole DeRosa last week, and it really hit the sweet spot with the community, it seems like. Got a lot of messages, a lot of comments about it, and also a lot of questions. Because Cole, um, as, as if you haven't listened to the interview, go listen to it, because he's a prime example of being thoughtful and in in intentional in every stage of his training. And you can just see why he's so good and so dialed in mentally. But mm -hmm. he does something a little bit different than what a lot of endurance athletes would normally do in that he runs pretty low mileage, 25 to 35 miles per week. But he does five circuit-based strength workouts per week, Monday through Friday. So he doubles every weekday. And he makes up a lot of his volume with work in the circuits. And he really focuses on his compromised running and his transitions with his circuit work. And we had a lot of questions back about that. And so I think we should sit down and break down the efficacy of what he's doing and, and kind of speak to that today. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I got a lot of questions about that. Some of my athletes even, you know, started questioning me about the thought process and the theory mm -hmm. and if maybe they could try some of that. We also got a lot of questions after the Rich Diaz episode about thinking about the flow state and the cadence and all that stuff, which mm -hmm. we might have to dive into at some point. Uh, after we do some experimenting maybe ourselves, right? I got to read his book and then, yeah, I got to play with it. Yeah. I think the one, one thing I wanted people to get out of Cole's episode on Friday is that what Cole is doing is what it takes to be the best in age group. We sit here and we talk about what it takes to be the best elite and mm -hmm. how to get to the top of the sport. And we use the best of the best as examples. And sometimes maybe we leads you to believe that it doesn't take that level of effort to become the best in, let's say, age group or even a second or third tier elite athlete. And I just want the listeners to hopefully get out of the fact that like, if you want to be the best age group athlete, it is going to take 
a full commitment from you from all from all aspects of of training. And I got that out of Cole's episode, like, hey, like this guy's earned every bit of success he's had. And if others want it, they need to figure out a way to do their version of it to be successful. A hundred percent. If we did one of those like to catch a predator things where they keep the the um the criminal like blacked out and they blur his voice a little bit, they distort it. If we did that with Cole's episode, you would not know who you were talking to. That mm -hmm. could be a world champ Tour de France racer. It could be a Kona Ironman world champ. It could be a marathon world champ, an OCR world champ. He had the mindset and the training mentality of a world champion. And that's not a coincidence. That's what it takes to be the best. And I don't care if it's being the best in age group, being the best in open, being the best in your pro division. To be the best at anything, you have to be that level of dialed in and committed. That man didn't make a single excuse the entire, and he might be one of, I'd say Atkins probably didn't either. Those might be the only two we've interviewed. Uh, may, I, sh I shouldn't say that either because Nicole didn't make excuses. Ryan Kempson didn't. Those are all people who are world champs are about to be. And they all have the same thing. They have hardships physically. They have hardships geographically where they live, the environment they train in. Cole did not make a single excuse. And he lives in the worst place to train for OCR in terms mm -hmm. of geography and temperature. But he's just like, nope, it's a tool. And if it's not a tool, I'm going to find my way around it. Yeah. So refreshing. I agree with you. And it's also a testament, you know, we had heavy influence to have an age group athlete on and Cole was, Cole was our choice. But um, it's a testament to the depth of field. Sure, the depth of field at the top end of the elites is growing, but it's trickled down on the men's side for sure um, to the age group. And you can't get away, just like the top end elites can't get away with doing sets of burpees anymore if you want a podium or win. You, the age group athlete that wants to be successful needs to train like like an athlete, like a true athlete if they want to be successful. So it was just outlined really nicely. And and I think I think there was a lot of merit to what, what he was saying and it sparked our next training Tuesday about high volume training, but not necessarily high mileage training. And we kind of want to outline, we want to outline that as much as anything, I think, yeah. don't we Bracken? We do. Uh, and I think that this is going to hit multiple groups of people. First of all, you're, this is very, very applicable to the novice athlete, someone who is not used to running high mileage but still needs to have the volume of work in order to complete courses that are 10K, half marathon, marathon distance. If you're going to do the distance, you have to get the volume in to build the engine. But if you can only run 20 miles per week safely at this point, it has to come from somewhere else. This also speaks to the aging athlete. This speaks to the person that just can't put in the volume anymore because their body can't handle the wear and tear. It speaks to the injured athlete or just the athlete who is cramped for time and can't necessarily always get out to gyms or trails, but you can get stuff done at home. So there's a wide variety of athletes that this speaks to. And I think it's a really important concept. Yeah. It spoke to me actually a little bit. I, uh, I thought about starting running again this week. I'm off, um, geez, almost three, it'll be three weeks today. And I thought about jumping back into running this week. The foot's coming around a little faster than I was expecting, which is good. But I said, no, I'm going to wait another week. Okay, so I'm not going to run until next week. So if you if you look at my Strava and you see a run on there, send me a message and yell at me, okay? Uh, we all know the itch to get back. But the point of this is, is that coming back from injury or not having the time or not being able to sustain high mileage, for me, you're going to start seeing a 400-meter rower into a 400-meter hard effort run into broken type running where I'm getting all the volume I would if I was running all the mileage I want to, but I'm going to be substituting some of that with other work. And truth be told, I feel like I can get as fit 
as anything doing it that way. And I want to bring this back to, um, I don't know if you remember this, Bracken, you weren't doing the series this year, but Ryan Kent had his best U.S. National Series breakthrough two years ago in 2018. He said he was running 10 miles a week, 10 miles a week, Bracken. And he came out and took second in San Jose in the first U.S. National Series. And then he went to Seattle and he won that U.S. National Series of race, self-proclaimed running 10 miles a week. But he was putting in 60 miles a week worth of volume between running and getting on the rower and wall balls and assault bike. And he was piecing it together due to an injury. And in fact, he's realized that's the style of training that makes him successful. Mm-hmm. You don't even need to run 60, 80 miles a week to become the best athlete. You can do it this way. And I just, after Cole talked about it, and then I thought about what Ryan Kent had done when he was injured in quotes, yet running the best he ever has. And then thinking about myself now, and then what you just said about how this could touch many athletes, like this isn't just for you if you are injured or old or don't have the time. I think this could apply. This could be a purposeful choice in your training to back off mileage, but increase volume in another way. See how your body responds. Yeah. And, and running purists will immediately get offended by this. And so I think it's worth saying that if we were training someone to qualify for Olympic trials or to PR in a 5k or to to Boston qualify in the marathon or whatever it is, if it was purely one dimensional running, you would try to fill as much of your time with running as possible. Mm -hmm. But this isn't necessarily that audience right now. And if it is, it's an audience that doesn't necessarily have the physical ability to run 80 to 100 mile weeks. No one's debating the fact that if you want to be an Olympic runner, you have to run 80 to 120 miles a week. Like that's just mm-hmm. what you have to do. You're not going to make the, the Olympics in the marathon if you're not running probably triple digits and doing big workouts. However, every time you add another component to the race and it gets more and more nonlinear, triathlon, duathlon, obstacle course racing, trail racing, you can add other components of fitness that balance out the high running mileage. So mm-hmm. I don't want to get give people the wrong impression that running doesn't matter because every time I try to go after a running specific PR, I specifically run. Mm-hmm. But in obstacle course racing, trail racing, those other things, mountain racing, these pieces do carry over way better than they would on the roads or on the track. But if you're training for, you know, let's say if Utah or West Virginia, both of them happen, Utah is an hour and 20 minute race for the winner. It's going to be two plus for most. West Virginia is a two hour winner race, three hour plus for most. Uh, If you can't handle that volume, I still think the best way to run your best in a two to three hour race, if you can't put that time on feet, you still will be a better runner over two to three hours if you're filling more of that time because you maybe have to mm-hmm. in cross-training modalities. So like, I still think that, I know what you're saying there, and mm-hmm. I agree with you if you're healthy and you can run all the mileage you need to, but the limiting factor should be how much time you can stay on feet and maintain your health. Correct. So, yeah. So it could be, this is purposeful for a number of reasons. Yeah. One of the first things I do when I start working with a new athlete is I see what they've done over their last six weeks, and I choose a, vol- a running volume for them to start at. But if they're not running seven days a week, I still have seven days of programming. It's just that other things fill that space. So let's say they're a three-day-per-week runner. We start running at three days per week. But the other four are filled with 40 to 90 minutes worth of work so that when they're ready for another day of running, they're not adding in another day of work and the impact of running. They're taking a day of work and just replacing it with the skill of running. And some people, like Cole never have to replace all seven days because they're doing so much additional work. Now, what he does interesting 
that's different from what you and I would normally program is that he does a Metcon circuit or a high intensity circuit every single day, five days out of the week. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, I think it varies on what your goals are, first of all, okay? First of all, if you are in the bowl like Cole, he has a good strength base already, okay? He is a stronger athlete. He does not need to work on his raw strength anymore. He is strong enough to do everything that you possibly need to do in a Spartan race, and he's earned that right over doing structured weight training at some point in his life. So it's super applicable in his case, in my case, in your case, people who have developed a strength base because- Anytime, if all he cares about is how it's going to translate to the race, well, we never do anything with a low heart rate when we're racing. Any strength move, whether it's a monkey bar, or a tire flip, or a sandbag carry, it's all high heart rate stuff. So that absolutely is the right decision for him. It translates to the race course very, very well. Now, if you are an athlete who is weaker, let's say, can't do a pull-up yet, can't get yourself across monkey bars, we may need to filter in some more structured, heavy high rest strength training just to build your strength foundation. But for most OCR athletes, most of you listening that have been doing the gym work for years, um, I'm super intrigued with this as well because that translates to the race course better than heavy structured lifting does without question, in my opinion. So I really like it. That's how you feel as well? I do. I, I still don't know if I would steer people towards the number of sessions he does, but as he talked about in his episode, he's earned that. And as you said, he's earned it over time. He's to the point where five strength training sessions per week, doubling every day, is not a detrimental stress on him. He talks stress recovery adaptation. If you hear someone say those three words strung together, you know that this isn't some haphazard training. They're thinking about what is my SRA cycle? What stress do I put in? How long does it take to recover so that I get my intended adaptation? If he's talking about that, this is not a fluke here. So he can double and feel better than if he did singles because his body is used to that workload. So I think that's really important. I, don't, I wouldn't say that people should jump right into five hit sessions per week, doubling on top of their running, but you could start with maybe two maybe mm -hmm. three. And one big key here is people think of high intensity training or Metcons and they see the CrossFit result where you finish your final rep and you collapse into this puddle of sweat on the ground. Cole's not doing that. I, Cole didn't give us an effort range, but I'd be willing to bet he's in that 80 to 85% of maximal exertion range on his circuits. And that is your bread and butter zone as an endurance athlete. And especially in our sport, we're working sub-maximal on your carries, sub-maximal on your, on your uphill running, sub-maximal on your flat running. It's all done in that 80 to 85, sometimes 90% range. And so you can do circuit work at that range pretty often without taking this huge stressful toll on your body. Yeah, it actually brought, it, it almost combined um the greasing the groove philosophy mm -hmm. uh one that richard diaz outlined with his flow state workouts because really he's the purpose of what richard diaz was trying to tell us two weeks ago is to touch on every energy system and every workout really cole's kind of doing that mm -hmm. in a very different way and he's felt good doing it and personal personally when i've done that when i've been injured or coming back from injury and mixing cross training and running I do find that my legs still respond pretty well the next day after like a, a Metcon or a WAD that even gets my heart rate pretty high. Sometimes that almost facilitates a recovery process for that next run as well in, a, in an odd way 
because you're getting the heart rate up in a different modality. And sometimes I don't know what it is about it, but for me, I respond well to that. So um, I think the mistake that people will make if they want to do these high intensity wads on a regular basis, and I encourage people to do it. In fact, I'm going to play around with it a little because now's the right time for me to do it, um, is maybe just going a little too leg heavy on those wad strength days. Mm-hmm. Um, which would detriment your running the next day pretty handily, I would. But there's a lot of other things. I'm not going to put burpees in the leg crushing realm. Not not enough to impact your running the next day. I'm not going to put pull ups in that. I'm not going to put hang cleans in that. I'm not going to put a lot of things in that. So I think if you were to really be a um, a student of how you how you structured this, I think you'd see a lot of benefit from it. And you have always talked about that. You come off injury having done a lot of high-intensity row circuits and compromised work, and you always race and feel good racing off of it. You don't feel good on your daily runs coming off of it, but you feel good racing because you're up in that high-output work state. Yeah, And that, that really does lend some credence to that. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I come off of cross, heavy cross-training belts. Um, and my fitness is fantastic. In fact, it almost is like it gave my body a a little bit of a break from the impact work it needed. And, uh, I come back a little bit stronger. And I think what it does for you is it gets you, you know, where we struggle as athletes on the course. And I'm speaking, uh, personally, and I know from what others have said is if we talk about transition work all the time, and we talk about trying to run fast after exerting yourself hard and you just can't do it, it's like that body and your lungs are completely filled up with your legs at the same time, and you just can't break through that and run fast again for a while. And training circuit style or training cross-training back to running and yada yada at high intensities simulates that feeling like so perfectly, and it's not new when you get to the racing. So if there's anything other than just um, physiological adaptation, just the body awareness of it for me has been really, really big coming off cross training bouts, um, and circus style work into racing. It's always translated nicely. That's, that's a good component because half the time people think they're not strong enough. I think half the time when they say that it's that they're not efficient enough with their movements. When, Mm -hmm. when I'm, when I'm doing lots of lifting, but not a lot of kind of funneling work where I take that and make it sharp with race specific movements while still tiring me out after the first one, you know, monkey bars still tire me out. I like the crushing powers there, but that easy ability to move well in space isn't efficient. And so Mm -hmm. it snaps you either ways. And he's getting so much of that efficiency work. Then the other point I want to make is that when you start looking at what he's doing, it's actually not different than what the highest end distance runners do in the world. Every time I look at a professional runner's schedule, you know, Kenyans, Ethiopians, that kind of, um, the Norwegians, they do an insane level of quality work. They're hitting mm-hmm. two interval workouts per week minimum, plus some fart lake or hill work and a long run. So they're hitting three to four big work mm-hmm. workouts, but they're doubling every single day. Some people are tripling. And so I look at it and be like, wow, Monday's speed work, Wednesday they hit a tempo, Friday they hit fartlek work, and Saturday ran long. How do you ever possibly recover? That's too much because it, 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 the only way to do that is to take drugs. But then I started looking and think, well, what did I do at the time when I was running my biggest volume? When I was in Colorado, I was hitting 70 mile weeks, which for me at 170 pounds was big mileage and getting 12 to 20,000 feet of vertical gain in the week. And I was adding in these stadium intervals twice per week as just little like 
touching upon speed. So I would do a big hill workout each week. I would do an interval set each week. I'd do a medium long run or a long run each week, but twice per week as like a PM session, I do a 10 to 12 minute stadium interval work. But because I was running twice per day, it wasn't that I had one day between each workout. It's that I had already worked out in that day and then worked out again. And so I actually had the same like separation between workouts in terms of how many recovery cycles I had Mm -hmm. because it reset after each workout. And I was able to sustain that. And I'm not a physical freak compared to a lot of world-class runners. So if you look at what they're doing and what Cole's doing, it's similar in that they're working out many times per week on their systems and their race-specific work, but they have a lot of recovery in between in terms of sessions. Half of his are just not run-based. So it it isn't that far out in left field. It's just he's using a different modality to get it done. You had this theory you said to me uh, a couple of years ago. You said, even if I'm doubling on a day, whatever it is, two run workouts or a run and a bike or whatever, that no matter what, like every time I, I do a bout of work, it's like an extra recovery session. And so if I double... Like even though I tired myself out in the morning, then I went for another run in the evening. Doing that run in the evening will set me up better to have a better day tomorrow mm-hmm. because something physiologically about flushing the body out and using the systems and stoking the fire, greasing the groove, whatever you want to call it. Um, you, you've kind of thought that for a while, haven't you? I have. Using, yeah. Using the system more than once a day. That's what my body responds to. When I take mm-hmm. the afternoon off, I'm creakier the next day than, than if I had worked that afternoon. No matter what it was, a bike or a row or a, ro- a run or a Every lift. Every single time. And what I found then is that my body almost got used to that, where I'd get up in the morning and I'd have a creaky, terrible feeling, sluggish morning run and be like, oh, yesterday was too much. And then that evening I'd nail a tempo run. And like mm-hmm. it thought, okay, I I got my day of recovery out of the way, but really it was only 12 hours. When I used to be used to 24, now it would get it done in 12 and I'd have my bad feeling day. But then by the next 12 hours or eight hours, I'd be ready to roll again. It almost shortened my recovery adaptation cycle because it was used to always being primed. And that's that's part of what I want to talk about today is this is the opportunity to start playing around with doubles. Mm-hmm. It's it's a scary concept to people from an injury standpoint, and it's a scary concept from a time standpoint. If you're working all day long, I, I can't double. You can, especially if the second workout's really short. So you hit your main set morning or night for most people, and then you squeeze that second one in just 10 to 20 minutes where you can, right before bed, right before work, on your lunch hour. You can find some time, maybe not every day, but two or three times a week and see what that does to your recovery cycle and your body in general. I felt like I could roll out of bed and just hit the ground at tempo pace after two or three weeks of doubling. Well, people people look and think, okay, well, I'm going to do a four mile shakeout run before work because I can set aside, you know, I can set aside 40 minutes. But I really want to get my quality workout in that afternoon. So if I get up early to do a, a shakeout in the morning, it's just going to take away from my quality workout in the afternoon. And that's why they avoid it. And my experience, again, after you after you do this for a little bit of consistency, it only enhances your next workout. Yeah, you're going to have some tired workouts. Don't get me wrong. But it is a really nice way to build fitness, build resiliency. Um, and it doesn't have to be a run in the morning. You could go for a half hour, 45 minute bike ride in the morning. These little things that the guys that are kicking your ass are doing is what all the good guys are doing. I'm doing it. Bracken, you're doing it. I'm working out twice a day, most days a week, even though I'm injured right now. And those are the things that people don't even like 
entertained because they just don't think, oh, that's not like what people do. That's not how what it takes to be good in this sport. Yeah, yeah, it does, guys. I hate to break it to you. That's what it takes. Yeah, and there's no way around it. At the top of the sport, world-class athletes. And we're going to talk endurance because world-class non-endurance athletes do three or four workouts in a day. But world-class endurance athletes, you are the exception to the rule if you are not doubling. Yeah. You know, I learned something. When I first met Hunter uh, McIntyre, he's just such a good model on a lot of different things. So we bring him up a lot. I went out to visit and train with him for four days in Malibu. This is a couple of years ago when we first started becoming buddies. And I showed up and I got in there. And that first morning, we did a mountain run. We went for like five or six miles and got like 2,000 feet. Easy pace, though. We were conversational. Then... We went and hit a strength workout, okay? Heavy, structured, whatever. Then that evening was 10 by 500 on the rower at I hate my life effort, okay? I mean, like, that was the hardest I'd worked on the rower ever. And our rest was when the other person was going. That was three workouts in one day. We did a vert easy. I mean, you can only do so easy when you do vert. We lifted for an hour and a half, ate lunch, took a nap, reset, went back and hit hard intervals on the rower that next later to get more volume. Fast forward the next morning, we show up and go to Rich Diaz's place and do a compromised inside out run workout. Now we weren't on the rower. We were doing a different modality, got our heart rate up to 180, 190 the evening before and the next morning. Then we eased it out with a bike ride and a lift later that day again. Okay. Guys like Hunter McIntyre, who seem to be successful at whatever they do, guys like Cole, guys like Atkins, guys like everybody, like walking through their day. I know you don't all have the luxury of time to do that. But I think most of us could squeak in two exercise bouts a day if you really wanted to, don't mm-hmm. you think, Bracken? And I just think Hunter outlined that. Like I went there and said, oh, like this is how his days are. He got his heart rate up high two out of three days to anaerobic levels, but in different modalities. Yeah. And it does a couple things. One, it's just rep work. If you were a musician and you played every morning and that was it, and your musician next to you played every morning, a couple minutes at lunch, and then every evening, like who's going to progress through their music quicker? Who's going to refine their sound quicker? It's not even a question of it. That's just the Mm -hmm. way it works. That's how athletics works too. The more reps you get in, the better and more efficient you get at what you do. So you're just revisiting it more often and you're not getting this far away. Second, it makes you more resilient. These are the people that can race back-to-back days, that can race three times in a weekend, people that can take damage without being fully damaged. If you're used to working out twice in a day, racing back-to-back days is not this crazy concept anymore. And Mm -hmm. it it really does build bulletproofing in your body. So let's talk about about why to do this first, which we're kind of already, let's just dive into that a little more. And then let's tell the people how to do this which we're kind of talking along the way, but but why do you do this? Most of you listening are an OCR athlete. Uh, not all of you. And I would argue that if you are just a runner and you're not be able to run the mileage you want, which I'm going to say, God, aren't like 50 plus percent of runners just not able to run the mileage they want due to some yeah. nagging injury or something, then this is for you too. Um, one, okay, why do you do this? You build volume that you can't build on your feet. Duh, we're talking, we've been talking about this. Two, if you're an OCR athlete, a trail runner, a mountain runner, those hits to your system that you take during a race um, can't always be simulated by just running your time on feet. And so I find when I'm doing this high end strength, high heart rate strength work, circuit work, that it simply just translates 
as we talk about, you take a 15 minute 5k runner and after two obstacles they are a 1530 runner, then a 16 minute runner. By the end of the race, they're a 20 minute 5k and they've fallen off the face of the planet. This takes that athlete and makes them able to sustain their best rate of work throughout a race training this way. And I think that implementing this as a strength day finisher or a starter like Cole does would be the first place I would start with this and see how your body responds. You already have a strength workout planned. You're already going to go to the gym. Let's create a wad that takes 20 minutes that, yeah, is going to hurt a lot and sucks, but let's just see what, what's the harm right now to just see what happened. Yeah. So, so that's where I would start. If I were somebody listening to this being like, I don't know about that. That's what I would do. Yeah. And if that's not, if that's too much, you start in that 80% range. Like if I could do this all out, it would take me 10 minutes. Well, get it done in 12, 12 and a half minutes. You know, you're still working hard enough to, and you're doing work you weren't going to be doing anyway. So this is all bonus at this point. So maybe don't kill yourself. Hunter, again, to bring this guy up, he is a huge component, a huge proponent of doing this work in 80 to 85% range. And mm -hmm. if anyone's ever watched Hunter, he can redline with anyone on this planet and hurt forever. And he does a lot of these type of finishers. He adds these wad finishers to his lifting sessions or is a PM session to runs. And they're not all turn yourself inside out efforts, but they raise your ability to just stay below that for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I want to talk tangibles here. So there's two styles that I really like to do with this bracket. Um, one is a descending ladder. Okay. You can build these any way you would like. So let's say I want to do a descending ladder wad and it's going to be this. It's going to be 15 reps of everything, 14, 13, 12. And when I'm done, I am done. That's your reward. Okay. So it kind of incentivizes you to work hard. And I'd pick a push, a pull movement. If you want to add something in like a cardio element, like a rower or salt bike, you can figure that out too. But I would say, okay, I'm going to do 15 burpee pull-ups. I'm going to do 15 push-ups, and I'm going to do 15 kettlebell swings. And then I'm going to do something to give my pull motion a 15, who cares what it is. And then I'll go 14 through everything, 13. I usually do a push and a pull back to back. Um, just to offset one another, might throw a leg exercise in there depending on the day. But that's simple. 15 burpee pull-ups, 15 push-ups, 15 kettlebell swings, 15 whatever the heck you want to do, and then start it over. Very simple style. Literally pick some exercises that are high energy demand and don't require a ton of weight and get to work. So that's the first way I like to do it. I know you do some descending ladders too once in a while, don't you? I do. And they go quick. They suck at first, but you're rewarded. That second half kind of lets you ease off. It almost prevents you from working too hard because that rep count starts to decrease, which I like. The other way to do it is say, I'm going to have a 15 or 20 minute timer. I'm doing 10 pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 10 kettlebell swings, and 10 jumping jacks, whatever the heck you pick, and do as many rounds of that as you can in 15 or 20 minutes and call it good. That'd be the two places I would start. Um, as far as just basic setups there. And again, Bracken, I know you add them, you'd probably add them to the end of a strength day where you've already done some bulk fatiguing before that, right? Well, I do that if I have the time. Yeah. Okay. And depending on the, the, what I do and how I do it is dependent upon what I'm training for and where I am in the cycle. Sure. So when I'm doing a high rocks or stadium, I'm doing this as standalone, I mean, as uh, as additions to the end of my work because I have to be good at working through fatigue. But if I'm in base, ba base building phase, like I'm about to be as I start easing back into running here, this is where I get my small doses of what I need to be good at later in a non-threatening, non-dangerous mm -hmm. mode. So I'll do my 30 to 40 minute run. And then in the evening, I'll do a 15 minute Metcon. Now, I, we should kind of define some things. Metcon hit... 
Um, HIT is just high intensity training. I know we've been asked to stay away from jargon for the newcomers and Metcon is metabolic conditioning. These are workouts that are designed to get your heart rate up and really be burning strong throughout it. It's anaerobic yep. in nature and you need a lot of force output. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad we cleared that up because we, we need to keep doing that, don't yeah. we? Yeah, we do. And then the other thing I do is I actually use this as OCR finishers. I love me some OCR finishers because one of our issues in this sport uh, is we have too many pieces to hit in a week. And that's where you start to get people that do a lot of everything and they lose their progressions. They use their structured progression through their interval work or through their threshold work or their long run because you can't fit everything and now you're hitting your speed work once every two weeks and your tempo work once every two weeks and your long run once every four weeks because you're also fitting in these compromised run workouts and regular run intervals and all that and so base season I get my compromised work done as finishers or as PM workouts eight to ten maybe 12 minutes of work but really condensed in its purest form. So I'm not, it's not getting convoluted and watered down with other work. It's staying in a really pure form. Uh, I have this one is called the terrible two mile. I do a 400 meter run, 400 meter carry, 400 meter run, 400 meter carry. You've now, you're at a mile and I do yeah. two rounds of that. And it's kind of for time, but I can do it anywhere between 80% and 90%. Or if I want it as a time trial, I crank it, but it's really condensed speed work and transitional running and carry skill work all in once and you're done in 12 to 15 minutes yeah you know and yeah. so i'll do that as a pm workout i'll go outside do a minor little warm-up routine you know five to ten minutes to get loose 15 minutes of workout and i'm done under a half hour yeah and you and you paid big dividends and you know you just talked about getting everything in for obstacle course racing and there's not enough time in the day this style really sort of is the one way to negate that mm -hmm. feeling like oh i need to get like a steady run threshold work in but i also need to do hill work but i also need to work on my compromise running and there's you just run out of time so these finishers are a good way to do it and that's exactly right for example Today I am planning to, so as soon as I get injured, Bracken, I go back into a heavy strength thing. And it, so maybe that's part of the secret why I come out of, you know, injury feeling good. Heavy squats, heavy deads, heavy everything, re kind of stimulate that nervous system. So today I'm going to heavy squat. I'm going to do some heavy split squats. I'm going to really fatigue those legs, low rep, high weight, five, five rep count, really like, you know, uncomfortable stuff. And then I'm going to finish with a rower and wall ball wad. I'm going to row 500. I'm going to hit 30 wall balls. And I'm going to go back and forth to cap it all off. High heart rate. But I know that tomorrow I'm going to feel just fine in whatever cardio bout I choose to do. And I think you can do the same thing for running. So I don't know how many examples we need to give, but I think the premise of, you know, I'm going to have an hour. I'm going to spend 40 minutes doing just heavy, slow lifting. And then I'm just going to polish that sword off with purposeful work that will translate to the race course. Yeah. And and I think that's a great way to look at some strength setups for people if they're going to start transitioning into this. And, and and this this goes beyond the strength realm too. I know Cole focused on the strength and the Metcon style circuits, but you can you can use it to round out any style of training you're doing. During base phase, you can add this on with strength and with compromised running. It, and, and I like to do contrasting elements. So if I'm in a phase where I'm doing a lot of flat, fast running, I'm finishing with OCR work or uphill work. If I'm in a big hill stage, I'm finishing or doing my PM workout flat and fast. If I'm doing a big OCR stage, I'm finishing with flat, fast running. You know, it, it's complementing your style so that you're never really away from everything else. And, and this can be done after or in the evening. 
if you did your tempo work or your interval work or whatever in the evening, hop on a treadmill and do 10 rounds of, of 20 second hill sprints. Yeah. And, and you've just got a huge component of your week knocked out without doing it in a stressful mode. And think of what, what is warm up 10 hill sprints, cool down. Nothing. You don't need volume on that. You can do a five minute warm up, 10 minutes of sprints and five minute cool down. And that's it. 20 minutes invested, but it's a huge return on that investment. Yeah, and I, I know we're focusing on the strength bit, like the Metcon strength wads, uh, wads workout of the day, I guess, if people don't know what that means. Um, but, you know, let's say you don't have access to the gym. You can't get there. You can't, uh, you don't have like, you know, he has a gym in his garage, for example, Cole, who we're referring to. Um, you can do this in a in a cardio sense too. I think another way to go about this simply enough is you're like, where do I start? And I don't want to go to the gym or I'm not comfortable going to the gym now with COVID going on or whatever it is. You can hop on the bike in the morning, go hit 30, 30 intervals for a half hour, go hop on hard, hard, hard for 30 seconds, recover 30 seconds, some really anaerobic work, and then go get your running in the evening. You can do the exact same thing by cross-training modality. And we're focusing on cross-training because Cole's not running during a lot of his Wad Summy is, I guess he's throwing 400 yeah. meter work in there, but um, it doesn't need to be like just strength work. It can, it can be any cross training modality that you can implement this sort of like spike and relax heart rate in with pretty minimal damage. And again, slowly over time, all those little things start to add up to bumping yourself to the next level of fitness. And so I think that was important to get at, like, I don't know, you mentioned that, you know, that you actually mentioned the term greasing the groove in an early episode. And that one stuck with me about just constantly exposing yourself to stimulus, not like those big three hour days where you go out and crush yourself in the mountains. We're not talking about like those sort of workouts. We're talking about the quick ones that you can add in that add up over the week and add up over time to just making you a better athlete. And, and I think a lot of people just don't do that. I just, I think of some of my athletes and I have a couple in particular say I'm working so hard and, and I feel like I'm reaching the peak of my fitness and it's like, I'm never going to be that person. I just don't think it's in my makeup. And then you look at what they're really doing. They think they're working hard and they think they're doing everything it takes, but they're really not. They're really not. They're really not doing what it takes. And I think Cole outlined that so well that it was warranting a whole Training Tuesday topic. So you want to you get there? Then do what it takes. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's key to look at your schedule and see where uh, we talk about stealing seconds, or I love that concept, stealing seconds during a race. You do that in your day as well. Yeah. We tend to just like in a race or in a steeplechase or in triathlon to ease into our transitions and ease out, chop our steps a little bit. We do that in life too. It's like, well, I've got a meeting in 20 minutes. And after that, I've got bedtime an hour later, I'm going to uh, scroll through inner through Instagram for the 15 minutes before my meeting. And then before bed, I'm going to head downstairs, watch some TV, hang out with my wife for a bit and go to bed. Well, mm -hmm. there's seconds you can steal there. And I, that's when I, how I started doubling was at night in between kids bedtime and my bedtime, instead of putting them down and then hanging around and, and Lisa was always nursing the baby. So it was always like an extra 15 or 20 minutes before she'd come out instead of going on my computer or going on my phone during that time, I'd put them down, I'd lace up my shoes and I'd go out and I'd do 20 minutes of running, come back in and she'd be about done. And three times per week, suddenly I have an hour more of cardio in my week. Plus an hour more of actual running reps. And one of the things that I find extremely valuable is getting your running form reps in when you are a bit tired. 
And if it's your second run of the day, you may not be tired, but you're a little bit, your body's just been used. And it's the perfect time to focus on running your best stride every step of the way. And that sticks, that comes in on race day. The people who are best in the sport are the people whose form does not break down over the time, over the time of your race demands. And one way to do that is to practice it in a fatigue state, but short bouts of duration. 20 minute run, you can focus on every stride for 20 minutes and it's not this huge hassle. Yeah. So um, do you want to maybe just give a few examples of some of your uh, your favorite Metcons that we yes. could we could toss at people. I think we should. I have a few in mind. I, I'm sure you do as well. Um, why don't you start, Bracken? Do you have one that pops in right away? In terms of cardio, 30-30 or 60-60. I will throw that in on the stair climber, on the spin bike, on the assault bike, on the rower. You I did it yesterday. It. I did it outside on the bike yesterday because it's so effective and it's so simple. They are two of the most effective basic workouts you could ever hit. What 60, 60 means 60 seconds, hard, 60 seconds, easy. And it's that, it's that subjective, right? Hard and easy. And people want paces or efforts. Now you just got to know hard and you got to know easy. You have to know what that feels like. And hard can be a range. It can be anything from a seven to a 10 out of 10, you know, but you hitting that in the midst of what is my goal for the week? How stressed do I want to make this? And when's my next quality workout? Hard can be a six and a half or a seven if you hit our sandwich between big days and it can be a nine and a half or a 10 if you've got all the energy in the world. But yeah, 30, 30, 60, 60. I hit that a lot. Um, that terrible two mile. I do a version of that a lot where I've got, I got 10 minutes of workout. What can I do? Quarter mile carry or quarter mile burpees, just crank it out, be done again, 80 to 90% effort. And then my, my finishers, I do a lot of push up, pull up ab circuits where I know like, weighted ab exercises are the best for strength but in terms of our sport you got to be able to functionally use your core without it depleting you when you're depleted that's what a barbed wire crawl is that's what a hercoist is that's what descending latent races is it's using your core when you're fatigued and so i do keep that in my in my uh my circuit work at the end so i'll do you know 15 chin-ups 25 push-ups 15 v-ups holding a 20 pound dumbbell and i'll circle through that for 10 minutes i like all those 30, 30 and 60, 60 is just going to be in my life forever. Mm -hmm. And 36, I do 30, 60, 90 with equal recovery too. I like to just play the same. You're getting the same thing out of all of those workouts. Really, Um, I like that. I think if you're going to do cardio, cross training cardio to add volume, I like the idea of either doing a high intensity interval, not just necessarily going and slogging, like just putting in, you know, time on the bike, which is still okay. Um, I think adding some purposeful work to that would be good. Um, Mm -hmm. Something I, a couple that I like to do are um, the rep counts that we had talked about. My favorite movements are kettlebell swing, uh, wall ball, pull-ups, push-ups. I need one kettlebell and one 20-pound medicine ball, and you need nothing else. I find, and I think a lot of people find, is that sometimes I can take a hit. When my arms go over my head and I'm already at 180 beats a minute in a race, I have a hard time. My rib cage gets contracted. I have a hard time coming off of that. Uh, not holding my breath, working through that. For whatever reason, that's always been something that's been hard on me to get right back to my race pace running. So right now, I'm implementing overhead work. I'm doing 15 cows on the assault bike and then hopping on and hitting pull-ups. 15 cows on the assault bike, doing overhead thrusters and pressing, things that are getting me comfortable with that feeling. And what's funny about that, Bracken, is 
last week I did an assault bike pull-up combo workout. And then I did another one this Friday. So I did them a week apart. My heart rate would spike over 180 when I got up on the pull-up bar a week ago. This last week, my, my heart rate was sitting in the low 170s doing the same thing. I was already seeing adaptation from doing more overhead work with a high heart rate. Um, so I worked on those weaknesses. Like, like if I'm thinking, what do I struggle with in a race? I'm picking that modality and adding that into my wad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I already am more com- I haven't been running for three weeks and I'm already more confident in my obstacle transitions and I haven't ran a step in three weeks and I'm going to keep doing that and get myself ready to race, even though I can't run. People sometimes just throw their hands in the air and say, I'm going to just go bike every day, uh, or I'm going to get on the rower, which is great, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough if you're trying to be good. Exactly. So, so yeah. So think about what you struggle with in a race or what your weaknesses are, and then implement movements that can sort of simulate that into your Metcon. Uh, is what I would recommend doing. Yeah, I really like that. And in case we're starting to lose the runners, this is something that is done by the world-class training groups in Kenya. I've spoken about it before on this podcast, but they do this specific workout and I don't remember what they call it, but they go to a track and they do 400 meter, like 80% intervals with circuit work done in between. They'll do squats, they'll do lunges, they'll do push-ups, they'll do sit-ups, they'll do uh, like tuck jump type things where they work some explosion and some fatiguing work. And then they just run at 80% effort, which is right around that, that threshold effort. They're not cracking the whip. They're not doing a crazy amount of volume. They're getting 2,000 to 3,000 meters total, you know, less than two miles, but it's compromised run work. And these are guys who are trying to make the Olympics at mile or 1,500 meters at 5K, 10K, marathon. These are the skin and bone runners you see who know I need some muscular endurance and I need some ability to be a little bit more dynamic and run through fatigue. They have identified that in a purely running sport on top of running 100 to 140 miles per week. Just imagine the benefits it could do for us in our sport. Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, and 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 by the wayside, like we're not leaving this by the wayside. I mean, is that like high end runners? Like look at Galen Rupp, who won the you at like a marathon trials. That guy's doing some form of strength work two or three days a week. Everybody, heavy. yes, heavy people that. <laughs> you will reach You need this to reach the top of your game. You need to balance out your fitness. And this is just, I don't know for me, Bracken, honestly, when I start doing a lot of this high end transition type work and these, these things, sometimes it's just the perspective that like I go out for a run and it just feels easy because I'm not, my arms aren't pumped and my legs aren't fully pumped. And I just go out and like rating a perceived exertion of hard run workouts almost goes down when I implement this style of training. Suddenly I don't dread my 400 meter repeats because shit, I was in the pain cave on that assault bike and overhead pull-ups. All I have to do is run now for 400 meter repeats. Like sometimes on the race course, I will be like, oh, this is easier than the the transition workouts I had been doing on my own. And it's like a really good mental perspective too, that it's a whole side of this we've left out. That is a big part of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're leaving it out intentionally because we've got another mindset episode coming up, but yeah. Cole summed it up perfectly. He said one of his emphasis is emphasis. Geez, I can't talk. One of his points of emphasis in life and in sport is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And he trains that. And this is what that does. The more comfortable you get, the more used to being uncomfortable you are, the more everything else pales in comparison. And rate of perceived exertion is everything. If you are having fun, you can go harder and longer. If you think this isn't as bad, 
you can just do it easier. Our mind is such a strong component to that. And the more you are comfortable with this, the tougher you get. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, back when I was banged up one of my last times, whichever one it was, I had, I remember doing a squat deadlift pull up quarter mile run workout. It was 20 of squats, deads, pull ups, and then a quarter mile run, 15 of each quarter mile run. Anyways, awful, awful, awful. It sucked. It was really painful. Um, the next day I had a tempo run planned, a threshold run planned. And I was like, is it smart to do these back to back? I only put two miles of run volume in the day before, you know, but as soon as I started that tempo run, the rating, my legs were fatigued, but how much easier mentally that was easing into it. I had a great threshold workout on a body that shouldn't have been able to do that because my mind was so relaxed with the effort comparatively. And I think if people start implementing that, they're going to, they're going to realize that, um, pretty quick. And another thing I wanted to touch on is this work doesn't always need to be done hard as we talked about, uh, referring back to Cole again, who spawned the idea for this episode is he has three high weeks and then one deload week. He talked about keeping all this conditioning in on his deload week, but decreasing weights, decreasing reps. Instead of holding 40 pounds for lunges, he does body weight. You can do these as like, just get my body moving. They don't all have to be, I hate my life inside out. This is miserable type work. Um, there can be like go through the motions type stuff too on at, at points in time. So I don't want to mislead you by saying that all these need to be these like really high, high-end workouts. There will be a place for recovery efforts along with this. And in fact, if you haven't done this before, maybe you should start at more of a recovery effort type circuit. But I just don't want to leave that out either. Yeah. And that brings up my final point, which is this is a great barometer of your fitness and your fatigue. If you wait every once per day to find out how you're feeling, you just run the risk of letting things slide longer. If you're moving twice per day, you have a real good pulse on how your body is doing. And because all these things are really black and white, they're easy to do. I'm doing 15 minutes. Last time I got 12 rounds and it was like an eight effort. This time I got 10 rounds and it was a nine effort. You instantly have a check-in, boom, something's going on here. I either need more recovery, I'm doing too much work, or I was compromised from something. Something needs to change in my schedule. The more often you go to the doctor, the more you can track your symptoms and see what's been affecting you and, and, and you just catch things earlier. If you only go to the doctor once a year, your odds of catching things when it first starts are low. And the same thing is true with fitness. The more times you go to the fitness doctor, the more times you have a chance of catching overtraining or injury or fatigue, and you just learn your body better. You know, it's good to do a systems check more often than less often, right? So it's a it's a systems check. Um, the only thing I really want to add to this, which I've already talked about, but I just want to hone in on it, is I think there's a way for you listening who is saying, how am I going to find the time or where can I make this happen? Or I want to be the best, but I'm not there yet. Just you can probably do more and you can probably do more in a smart manner that's not going to leave you injured. In fact, it could leave you invigorated. And so find those minutes, as you said, Bracken, like find those minutes. What's a half an hour earlier alarm to get in just a little bit more work in the morning? Or if you do your big workout in the morning, can you sacrifice a half hour in the evening when you're done with work? I think those little things, the theme of all of our interviews, Bracken, and even Cole, which I wasn't expecting it from our age group athlete, was that the amount of little things that add up to big things for everybody who's successful is astronomical. And going out for your one run a day, it's going to get you three quarters of the way there, but that's not what makes you stand on top of that podium. It's that last quarter. 
It's that last 25%. And so I just want to just hone in on that again, that if you think you're doing enough, um, but you're not satisfied with where you're at yet, this is a good way to get there from what I'm, from what I think. I agree with you hundred percent. And that's, that's where I'd end this thing right here. Identify where you can do more and do it, do it safely, do it intelligently, but find some extra minutes and use them. Don't think about using them. Take advantage of them. The end. The end. Enjoy people. Thank you.